Hello, everybody, and welcome to the State of Play podcast. Happy New Year 2020. We are officially back, episode number 30. I'm your host, Martino Puccio. Join with me are the original State of Play boys, Matt Santangelo and Pepperisha. What's going on, guys? Uh, all good, man. We were just talking before we got on the air. Like, is it is it still allowed? Can you still say Happy New Year? I mean, I know we're kind of coming from different countries and different cultures, but I don't know. And I was speaking to one of my French colleagues and he said that in France, they can say it until the 30th of Jan, which is a bit strange to me. I think it's usually okay, I guess. I mean, at least that's how I feel. I still have been saying it to people. I kind of use it as an introduction to people I haven't seen in maybe a three, four weeks or about a month. So, <laughs> but I don't like, to, I, I guess it's, it's either way you can use it, but I feel, it feels kind of weird. Now it feels like you're kind of at the midway point or perhaps the midway point of January. So I feel it's kind of best to just, you know, kind of shy away from the 2020, but I don't think it doesn't hurt. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a, it's a decent gesture. At least I think the one thing is I wouldn't say it to someone I talk to often. You know <laughs> what I mean? But if I, right, if, right. if I like haven't saw a, seen a person in a while and it's like, I don't know, like today, I'll just be like, yeah, happy new year, because I'll probably won't see them for a long time. You know what I mean? Just the, but a comforting thing, but in all honesty, I don't, I don't know if it matters that much, but I do agree. I feel like if it's in February, then you're just an asshole. Then. <laughs> I, don't <think laughs> I don't think, I think you're just busting chops. You're not really um, being anything, uh, uh, you know, formal with that. But anyways, we got to get into a bunch of stuff because so much has happened um, in general. And I think especially within the last few days, uh, mm, yeah, actually yes. could pass few week, uh, past week. Yeah, we, we got an extremely lucky with all the news there, but we're going to start with the Premier League. This is the latest news. Um, and I sent this to the chat that we have uh, where we discussed and it was announced during the Manchester United Liverpool game, which just wrapped up and Liverpool won that. Um, Marcus Rashford is, he's going to be out for a couple months, expected two to three months. Uh, he had a single stress fracture in his back and now it's a double stress fracture after he, the Wolves. He played, he played yeah. with, a, with a single stress, uh, stress fracture and a bit of bone dislodged in his ankle. Like fucking what, what of the man you medical team smoking? <laughs> That's, I, I mean, okay, well, here's the thing, right? So say the medical team comes to Ole or whoever else has to receive this news first and says he has these issues with him. This is all in on everybody accepting to play like this. I I won't blame Marcus because I think he tries to put too much of uh, this burden of playing for this club right now on himself. But I, this is just, this is just awful. This is a fireable offense, not only for, for Ole, but for multiple uh, staffers in this because mm. this is I know it says two to three months but when you mess with someone's back it could potentially be career threatening and well, he, he's had interestingly enough back issues this whole his whole career like since well, he that nine. that makes it even worse I, I mean how could you not be cautious about this and I think this is just reflective in in kind of the state of Manchester United at this point. <laughs> um, I, I just wanted to say as well, you know, you, you're talking about a guy who scored and assisted 18 goals in 22 appearances for United in the Premier League alone. That is that is a lot of output just suddenly gone. I mean, he's got another four goals in the League Cup. So you're, you're talking about a guy who's 20 plus goals and assists this season already. 
it's it's a lot to lose. And I know that we're going to talk about Bruno Fernandes in a bit, probably. And I'm sorry if you're not a United fan, but kind of that's where the main bulk of the Premier League chatter has been the past couple of weeks. But I mean, I wonder if United are looking at it now and being like, well, you know, we, we wanted this guy, Bruno Fernandes, possibly to replace Pogba longer term. But now do we need a forward? I mean, I looked at how they finished up today against Liverpool when it was Dan James, Mason Greenwood. Uh, I think they played Diego Dalot like, uh, like left wing back. Um, <laughs> it matter like it, it doesn't look very good. I just don't know where the goals are going to come from without him. Yeah, I, I think for me, looking at you know, I, I don't necessarily think. I mean, I obviously feel the market will change their approach, you know, with this news because you know, even coming into this season, you know, there was speculation and kind of concern. Well, if Rashford goes down, they you know they don't have Lukaku like they did last year. Um, Martial is probably the one guy who can play there, but I think he's more suited for a wider role. Um, and I think when you look at Man United's situation in general, I mean, two to three months, he's, for all intents and purposes, he's gone for pretty much most of the season. If you're the bulk of the season, if Man United are trying to make a run at top four, I mean, that could be the nail in the coffin. I'm not saying it's done. I think that I've always been adamant that the top three, uh, top four, top four spots are wide open with the exception, of course, of the title uh, being all but wrapped up for Liverpool. So when you look at everything going on for, for fourth, if you're, you're going to be talking about Manchester United's hope for fourth, because I know that's what we uh, briefly discussed in, in, in the chat that Martino was alluding to, you got to assume that they're going to at least try and go for a stopgap option. It may not be a, a 40, 50 million euro move, um, but maybe a guy like Luka Jovic is, is someone they maybe turn their eyes to. I'm not exactly sure. I think maybe he's someone who fits the billing if they can work something out with Real Madrid. That's just a name that kind of came up in my mind because I know he's been having a bit of a difficult time adapting to Real Madrid. But getting back to United real quickly, yeah, I mean, you have to look at the situation for United with the, with the obviously with the feet today. Um, and given the fact that they also had an opportunity to gain points on some of the clubs in that mm. conversation for top four and failed, compounded with the fact that the Rashford's out for a significant amount of time, I, I, it's going to be fascinating to see what their uh, market approach is and how it's altered with this news. Because as you mentioned, Pet, Bruno Fernandes is a, is a nice addition. But you really got to ask yourself, is that's just one of many areas that need, they need to improve upon. And in the short term for this season, speaking on that, because summer is a different conversation, how much is that going to affect them in the short term if, versus them maybe spreading that out, getting a, another midfielder or you know, maybe getting the actual forward that they desperately need now more than a midfielder? I feel like Bruno Fernandes is a guy that would be better suited to come into a team who plays quite attacking flair football and and a club that's stable as well. And I think that a couple of my United friends were just talking about how um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is, is kind of perceived as this maybe old school coach, um, kind of, you know, hard, gritty, determined, wants his players to work hard, talks about the United values, like, you know, uh, I think when he first came into the job, he kind of talked about like trying to get the players to understand what it means to wear the shirt. And, and, I, and I love that kind of stuff. I really do from a manager. I mean, we're going to touch on Mikel Arteta probably later. And he's kind of definitely tried to instill that same culture at Arsenal, probably with a bit of better kind of like on-field <laughs> coaching than Ole. But I, I really do think that, that there has to be a, a point where you kind of trust the science to some extent. And if the medical people are telling you, like, this is the scenario, this is the situation, this guy has a fracture in his back... And there are going to be players like Marcus Rashford. He is a Manchester United-born guy. Like, he has played for the club since he was a kid. He's going to want to play through blood, sweat, tears, broken bones, ankles, whatever it may be. Sometimes you've got to take your players out the firing line. And I think this is 
going to come to horn Ole when when they don't make the top four because I don't think they will unless they invest heavily in January. I think um, I, I said in the chat that I, I had a feeling that they'd sneak in, but that was definitely before. I saw that their best player is going to be out for this long. Um, I, I really do think that, you know, this is kind of old school coaching just gone bad, hasn't it? Um, I, I, I don't know. I just think everything he does is awful, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, I, <laughs> I, I get what he's saying to an extent, and Matt and I have kind of seen it because we also have had multiple um, legends coaching Milan, mm. and we've seen it. And and I get where he's coming from to a certain extent, but to to the Bruno Fernandez thing, I get why they're going after him. It makes sense, but to me, it's not a sound market strategy, and I don't think it's changed much since the summer or at all recently. They know they sold Lukaku, um, and they did nothing to replace him. Then we're in January; they haven't even think or thought to have replaced him yet again. And then you have the Rashford injury. And it kind of just seems like they're buying one massive player at a time, right? And then not spreading out that money to multiple needs. It's always a big fee for Fernandez, uh, Harry Maguire, uh, Paul Pogba. Um, it's never really like, let's spend 20 to 30 million on one player here and then another But, but 20 sometimes there. that works though, Martino, doesn't it? Like, I mean, they must yeah, that, that, look that 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 at Liverpool, right? Yeah, but that mostly works for a team that's built to win, yeah. ready to win now. Yeah. And that's the difference. Like, if you're a team like Liverpool, for instance, who, you know, they had that nucleus, that foundation already attacked, and you wanted to add in, you know, that big central defender like they did, or when they got, like, Fabinho or Nabi Keita, like, they were a team that more or less had a good nucleus. And then you add in, like, hey, we are essentially just a winger away, or we are essentially just a holding midfielder away from being title contenders and a, a legitimate Champions League contender. There's a difference here. And I think that's what Martino is kind of, kind mm-hmm. of getting at. And I'm sure you would agree with me, Pet, too, is that it, it, for a team like Manchester United, who haven't quite, I guess, overhauled the squad or completely blown it up. I mean, they still have remnants of, you know, I mean, they just got rid of Ashley Young finally, you know, last <laughs> January, Maroon Fellaini, like obviously Lukaku. So like did you see some of those funny tweets where it was like uh, Antonio Conte getting? Uh... Yeah, he's moving all the players. So he's yeah, yeah. But like, you, but that's what it feels like. It feels like they haven't quite like you look at the comparisons. And I hate to keep harping back on on Liverpool, what, what they've done, and even City to an extent. I think City have done obviously a great job. I know this year has been difficult for them, but when you look at what Liverpool did from when they brought in Klopp, it was an, it was it was a Renaissance era for them. It was a revolution. They're saying. The, the Danny Ings, the Andy Carrolls, the Balotellis, mm. all, Ricky Lamberts of the world, they're gone. We're getting the manager. Now we're going to start getting – they got Salah. They got Mane, Firmino. And all of a sudden, after two years, three years, they were built and equipped and armed to win and win big. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a possible dynasty here with Liverpool. So you know, when you think about what Manchester United's doing, you feel as though that they're kind of you know, plucking like one big sexy signing as a way to say, hey, look what we got. We just got this big signing. But, you know, you look at certain teams, even like Milan, I know there's comparisons you could probably draw with the two clubs, but, you know, in previous years, Milan were splashing the money on players and trying to outspend their way out of problems. But this past summer, you look at where, that, where their money was spent on guys like Rafael Leao, who's making a difference. He's a young player at 20 to 25 million. Teo Hernandez, who's been arguably the left, best left back in Italy at 22 million. Uh, Ismail Benacer, a former Arsenal guy in the midfield for 16 to 18. Like they're addressing areas with essentially around 50 to 60 million. And they're spreading that out because they understand that they need more than just one big player. If you threw just a star into Milan's team right now, 
they probably do well, but at the same time, they're not equipped to win. And when you look at what Manchester United are trying to accomplish and getting back to being in that conversation with Liverpool and City, I don't see where Fernandez moves the needle that much, mm. in my opinion, for where they're trying to go. He's a nice player, but he's one of many that they need. I kind of get what you're saying, both of you. I do, I do agree to some extent that it's easier. It's far easier to do that when you have that nucleus. I just feel that like you identify your weaknesses and you prioritize them in order and you go about getting the best player that you can in those positions and you try and not think about the price. And I know that's hard to do, but I go back to like when Spurs, for example, they lost Gareth Bale and you, you think about the players that came in there, Soldado, uh, Capu. <laughs> Lamella, um, yeah, Ericsson. That there was a lot of them that just flopped. And to your point, actually, Matt, um, with the kind of like Andy Carrolls of this world and blah 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 for Liverpool, there are some of the players that like a lot of people thought were going to be flops that ended up being very good players for them. Whether it's the the James Milners, the uh, Jordan Hendersons, like a lot of even but that's, Adam but Milana. That's, but that's your that's your coaching though. Yeah, like that's yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying is that like if you like we saw what, even what Conte did at Chelsea, for instance, you know where he came into that squad. I think they finished seventh or tenth the year prior. He gave a guy like Victor Moses a new lease on life. You know, Marco Salonzo, some of these guys, a little bit more of an extension. Of their career, back, a little more of a, right. It's, so it's, it's one of those things where in, in a certain, to a certain degree, yes, you could, the, the certain players do have that, that second, second wind in their, in their career. But that's really down to Klopp. I think if you get any other manager in there or someone who's mm-hmm. a tier or two below Klopp, I don't think you get this sort of revival out of Jordan Henderson. You know, I'm not saying he's a world-class player, but I think he's kind of established his role within that squad as the captain where he's kind of being, hey, you know what, he's not the best player, but he's one of many. And he leads by example, and that's an element that we have in the squad where as opposed to where the other guys in the squad, the more talented individuals technically and all the other aspects of the game can pick up the, pick up the slack for him. But he's able to be a leader, somewhat like what Milan um, had, you know, with a guy like, not, maybe not necessarily Gattuso or anything like that, but even like late in career, like with Seydorf, where you had certain players who were, were much better uh, technically at that age, were a little more fit. But overall, Seydorf just added that little bit of an element to the game where he could kind of elevate a midfield. And I think that's where the difference is here, is that if you're Manchester United, if you had that manager intact, there would be no doubt in my mind, I think you'd get certain players in that squad who still have a little bit in them. But it's telling the fact that you have, all these players that were once at Manchester United, you know, like Lukaku leaving, all of a sudden he's hitting form. You have a guy like Chris Smalling, he gets out of Manchester United. What does that say about the environment? I know it's different leagues, I understand that. But when you, what you see you know, this season from some of these players, it kind of gives you a bigger picture. Well, were the players a problem or was the system, the coach, and the environment the problem? And I think that's what we really kind of have to look at it here because – you know, Manchester United, they have more talent in their squad than what their, what their positioning shows. I don't think they're a 10th place team or a 7th place team or a team that belongs in that kind of conversation. But at the same time, when you look at it, it's, it's fitting and, and telling to see how much a manager can do. And we're seeing that with Liverpool. We saw that with City. We saw that with Chelsea. And I think for me, always one of those managers where he's, I don't know if he's the type of guy to say, hey, you know, um, you know Dalo, let's, let's get, I'm going to get the most out of you. Or, hey, you know, uh, you know, I'm trying, just trying to think of some more French players, like Amat, to kind of give him a little mm. bit more of an extension. So Alex I don't see him as used that to get a lot out of mediocre players. Yeah. And right. we didn't realize they were mediocre players until after he left. And that's still a void that they haven't been able to replace. Like, we're lo- the way we look at Ashley Young now is completely different than we did when he originally came up with Manchester United. Right? I mean, I don't think anyone would think like a Phil Jones – 
was it was going to be a meme type of player, right? You thought, oh, this is another guy coming through Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson that he's winning titles with somehow. And now we're just sitting here saying they're one of the most embarrassing clubs in the country or Europe in general. Yeah, I think um, I remember Ashley Young ripping Arsenal to shreds a few times, especially in that 8-2. So uh, he's certainly gone. He's certainly regressed since then. Yes. um, But, Pat, now it's time for you. Oh, yeah. Cal Arteta. Oh, yeah. I... Uh, obviously, I don't. Uh, I forget exactly when the last episode was recorded. Um, I think it was before Christmas, but I believe we didn't get a chance to discuss the hiring of Mikel Arteta to Arsenal. We unfortunately did not. Yes, and we've well. I think we've documented it pretty well on Twitter um, and your infatuation with him. Um, <laughs> first, we'll just we'll just hit a couple of points. Because um, he's managed a few games now. They've obviously improved their defensive record. Um, how do you like his lineup selection? How do you think of his job that he's done so far? What do you think they need to give him this month in order for them to make a chase at a, a European spot? We won't go to Champions League spot right away. But <laughs> it's a little bit more. Um, I, I really do think that he's done a good job. Uh, he's really invigorated the dressing room, it seems. A, a few players were kind of like on the cusp of, of being quite unhappy. And I think a lot of players have, one, been shocked by how much he's asked of them. Uh, I think I saw after the United game, it was Lacazette who made about, I think it was a, something crazy, like 40 sprints in that game. I, I don't know if anyone has the stats who's listening out there. What, what but, qualifies a sprint? How do you running really fast? No, no, no. I mean, I'm saying <laughs> no, of course, but you could do that in like a five yard burst. But I'm I, I actually, work. I actually, I actually don't know. But I think it was, it was something like, um, I think it was like sprint presses or something like that. So pressing towards the ball in a, in a sprinting okay. or I, something like yeah. that. But um, I think he's, he's definitely, as you said, as you touched, um, improved us defensively. So uh, I think under the entire Emery era, our kind of non penalty expected goal conceded was 1.35 under Arteta it's 0.95 so that's a a, a marked improvement Um, and a few other defensive statistics are way up I think attacking wise uh, in the forward areas Arsenal also better but just don't do it for long enough if that makes sense Um, so there is signs of life and improvement I think this kind of Aubameyang red cards come at a bad time for Arsenal because as you can see Arsenal are playing with basically like two or three 18-year-olds every every game now, it seems. I mean, we're playing Maitland-Niles, who's a, a midfielder by trade, at right-back, who's still only 22. Bakayo Saka, who we've profiled on this show before, an 18-year-old winger playing at left-back, doing a decent job. Martinelli, first season ever in Europe, uh, doing really well. He scored his ninth goal this uh, season yesterday. Also profiled. Um, yeah, also profiled, of course. We're always going to, you know, profile, be the first to profile Arsenal youngsters. Um, <laughs> uh, but but again, like, it just shows the lack of depth. I mean, you know, to, uh, yesterday we brought on Edin Ketia, who's just come on, come back on loan from Leeds, uh, 20 years old, and he's just been chucked into the deep end because there are no other options. So I think Arsenal's uh, first or starting lineup when every single player is fit looks pretty good on paper. But when you when you whittle it down to an injury here, an injury there, I mean, Socrates holding and Chambers are all now injured and suddenly Mustafi's playing. Uh, Bellerin's injured. We've got to play a midfielder at right back. 
Kalasnach and Tierney are both injured. We've got to play a uh, 18-year-old winger at left back. Like these are issues that um, Mikel Arteta is obviously going to be hard pressed to fix, but it's going to be really hard and difficult to fix them because you just don't have that quality. I mean, these aren't these youngsters aren't tried and tested to some extent, like Chelsea's, where they've gone out for on loan for a whole year or two years. In, for example, Tammy Abraham's case, sometimes even two and a half years. Some of these guys, Bakayo Saka, they're coming straight out of the youth team. Joe Willock straight out straight out the youth team. Martinelli's come straight out of fourth division Brazil. Um, it, it's really tough to kind of like for these guys to get to the level required when there are holes in the squad. So I, I think he's done a really good job. The way Arsenal are playing are definitely, uh, has definitely improved. He's definitely done a lot of those cultural things that I said that Solskjaer did at the beginning of his United uh, reign. But he's paired that with very, very astute coaching considering the resources he's got available. I didn't really answer your question, though, Martino. Like, I, <laughs> I, I went on just like a long rant about why I like Arteta. I, I just do think that um, I, I don't think like, I can't see Arsenal spending any money. I really can't. And I mean, uh, we've already decided. But, not- but can, we, can, can I just ask, like, why? Though? Sure. And I understand there's financial ramifications and, and restrictions with stuff. But why not? They're a massive club in the Premier League in 2020. There's no excuse for it when they have holes like they do. I think I think they've got a a, a lot of players that still need to be shipped out. You, you think about um, Özil on three hundred fifty thousand pounds a week, Mkhitaryan mm. who's at Roma, who Arsenal are still probably paying some of his wages, yep. and a guy that eventually, we're, we're you know, fingers crossed, praying Roma are going to purchase for a few million <laughs> in the summer. Um, we, we've currently got. It looks like five or six centre backs in uh, come the summer for for, for for four spots. Considering we pay four at the back, if you think about Chambers, Holding, Socrates, David Luiz, Mustafi, Saliba, who's going to come in, and then Mavropanos as well. So that's seven centre backs actually for for four spots. There's um, two left backs, and then uh, r- the rumored Kazawa to come in in the summer. Mm-hmm. So someone's going to leave there. We've only got one actual right back in, in, in Bellerin, unless the Ainsley Maitland-Niles decides that's where he wants to spend his career. Arsenal have only really got Granit Xhaka and, and then Torreira is probably the only player who's comfortable playing in that holding midfield role. And then after that, it's Guendouzi. Uh, Caballos has had injury problems, so the depth there looks a bit weak as well. And then it's in the forward options. I mean there are just too many youngsters being played. And if you just play these guys for extended periods and, and can't protect them, then it's, then it's going to be, it's, it can end in that kind of like, you know, the, the Yanazai mold where they just kind of dwindle off in their careers or the, the Frederico Makeda kind of thing. I, I just do think that um, there needs to be a lot of outgoings before. I, I, I get it. If I'm the, if I'm the sporting or whoever like makes the final call on the finances and I look at that wage book and I say, Hey, look, we're actually spending £550,000 a week on Mkhitaryan and Ozil alone. I, I, I would, as a coach, look at that and be like, look, fair play. Um, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of gutting that we can't, but it's, these are the restrictions. It's a lot of money that's going out on these players that just Arsenal don't need. So I think the, the team there, I mean, if I was Arteta, I'd be saying to him, look, you've got to get rid of some of these players and then I want the players that I want kind of thing. Matt? How have you been able to watch any of Arsenal under Arteta? What did you really think of the move? Some of the stuff Pep was talking about. This is an interesting one, by the guy. This is a massive, massive tangent. But Kulisevsky is start, starting for Milan, uh, for Juventus this evening. Oh, for, 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 again, no, for Parma against Juve. 
Palmer yes. Garcia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah, because he's making them. He's making the move in the yeah. summer, so he's finishing yeah, off yeah, the rest yeah. of the season. But um, sorry, my yeah, mistake. But no, no worries, no worries. Getting back to uh, <laughs> back getting, to Arsenal. Back to the important stuff. Back, back to yeah. I mean, I, I've watched a little bit of them. I've you know obviously kind of bounced around from league to league. I'm predominantly focused on uh, Serie A, of course. But you know, I think with you know we've having conversations, you know, us three in, in our chat about you know Arteta, Arsenal's, I guess their 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 path, their division they have uh, under Arteta, and I think there's definitely been some 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 positive plays nah, i'm so positive. sorry i'm going to interrupt you again apparently Solskjaer's just said in a in in the post-match interview that um they need a striker and they'll buy one if uh if someone's available but they're also willing to uh, to get someone on loan if if possible yeah wonder well, if so they're going to sell a striker I mean, well, here's here's and here's the thing about that too, right? Is that is well, here's the thing about that too. I mean, I didn't have much to, I didn't have a ton to say. I think our, uh, you know, Pet did a great job, kind of you know, wrapping everything up about about Arsenal. But uh, lastly, with with United and the striker situation, it's it's everyone knows their position, right? Everyone knows they need a striker. So it's one of those things where if you're coming to a club and you're like, hey, I want this guy, what is he available? And they're gonna the terms are gonna be much difficult, more difficult to kind of accommodate in that sense because when you look at it they're going to say well look you we know you need a striker we're not just going to give them them to you and spoon feed you you know your solution up front if you will so I, i'm going to be it's going to be interesting to see i mean do they go the veteran route do they go and listen to this i mean they they were a team that was one of the four finalists for holland which i know we're going to talk about but imagine if they got a guy like holland in there mm. now you'd be able to kind of thrust them into a starting how, role and how did the they not do that how did they not I, do that i don't i don't i think it's one of those things i don't think if, i don't think it's uh, entourage wanted him to go there. I think there's a good chance that they didn't think it's like a good place for him to grow. It's 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 one of those things where I think Germany is such a great environment for you know players and and you know Norwegians, a lot of just in, like players in general who are of that kind of you know that 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 very young profile who have experience um, and to go to. Dortmund, I think he's got a ton around him. If you look at the players feeding him the passes, I mean, Sancho, you got uh, Thorgan Hazard. I mean, uh, the list goes on and on and on for the players that are kind of in position. I mean, if you look at some of the goals he scored, you know, he you he would have been a, an ideal fit for for Manchester United. I think you're know, a big physical player. I think he would have been in that regard a good fit for for the for for the Premier League. But I don't know where I just don't know where Manchester United are going to go with this. Is it a short-term option? Are they going to look to spend a little bit more on someone they can envision as a long-term solution? I, I don't know, but I think it's one, one way or the other. I don't think they're in a position of leverage where they're going to be able to get their guy at the price they want under the terms they want. They may have to kind of break the bank a little bit to get the player they need, but at some point, you you know, maybe you you kind of get desperate and say, "Look, well, we have that opportunity to finish fourth. It's worth enough for us to get a player who we envision being at least here for." Um, the next year, year two, maybe not a long-term solution, but someone we can be envision being part of the team uh, going forward. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how how that develops because what there's less two weeks left in the in the mm. market, and now it's all of a sudden you have to scramble to get that Bruno Fernandez deal done. And I think we've seen many times with certain clubs as you get to the tail end of the market where desperation settles in, right? You kind of want to do something. And sometimes you, by you in that, by being in that mindset, you wind up pulling the trigger on players who maybe at the at initially felt like maybe a fit, but when you look back, they weren't quite much of a fit for you. So that's what Manchester United has to be careful here well, is like, that they've them out Falcao. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe like a Michi Bachuai, maybe I don't. Mm. Someone who maybe is is a second fiddle who's. Maybe has experience in the league and step Chelsea in. Chelsea would do never a job. ever give. They would never do, but someone no I'm way. saying someone like that. Yeah, someone got who's, you. 
you know, as a, as a second string guy who's had experience as a starter, who's shown promise. I don't know, but you know, get, getting back to Cavani. Cavani looks like he's going to be on his way to Atletico Madrid in the um, mm. in the summer. I don't see unless they they spend the money and they're saying we want him now, but. I I don't think Cavani's kind of heart and his mind are, are in Atletico Madrid. A Piontek would be a fascinating one. I think you're going to see start to see a lot of rumors from maybe uh, the Daily Mail son, uh, tomorrow about that. <laughs> Quite Matt Santangelo. Well, mm-hmm. well, well, listen when you look at when you look at the striker, uh, the, it's it's weird. I, I, I'm not too sure what to expect from Piontek now. If we're on we're on the conversation of the striker, you know, thing for, for Dembele as well from Leon. That's the one that's been yeah. I mean, I mean, there's uh, Piontek. I think would be. A decent option on a loan with an option. I mean, he was he was linked with Tottenham. Um, he's been linked still with Aston Villa, West Ham. Uh, I think Sevilla or Valencia, if I'm correct, one of those two teams were the latest. But I don't know. I think he would also be kind of difficult to obtain because Milan want to recoup most of what they bought him for. So what about Chicharito? He's on his way. He's on his way to Galaxy. <laughs> Last minute bid. He's on. He's on. A, he's on a, bring him back, right? Bring him back. But um, yeah, I, I don't really have much to add on Arteta Arsenal. I think that you did a great job of kind of giving uh, the listeners what we've we've at least kind of grown to see, um, at least in a small sample size with Arteta. I think it's one of those things where you just want to see if you're an Arsenal fan. Um, just a turn of the results. And I think if you get to the turn of the results, along with the fact that maybe Mikel Arteta is kind of forging an identity for this team that fans can get behind, I think that'll be something that you know, it bodes well for him in the long run. And then you get to the summer, and I think that's where things kind of open up and you can really assess the situation more. Obviously, you know what you previously said, they got a clean house. It's one of those things where, uh, in many ways, there's a similarity to draw with Milan. I feel like it always goes back to Milan, but you know, they're bad contracts, contracts expiring. Eventually, you get out from underneath all that, and you're able to have that flexibility to go out and get the players you want, spend a little bit more money to get the guy that you feel is the right fit for your club. And I think that's what Arsenal at least hope to be. I think top four would be very difficult. But if there's any year for them to finish top four, you feel as though it would be this one, right? Because I feel it's going to be a dogfight, and it's going to be tightly contested till the end. We'd have to go on a big run, wouldn't we? Well, we'd have to start by beating Chelsea on, what is it, Wednesday? So, uh away from home at Stamford Bridge, which is obviously not easy. Oh, no, it's Tuesday, rather. Um, yeah, that, that's not going to be easy. So that, that would, that's when it would have to start. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of touched on Haaland earlier, didn't we? What a signing he would have been for United, but what a signing he's been for Dortmund. Did you guys... Did you, I was watching the game and it was just unreal, man. It's, it's ridiculous. The guy's just like a... He's like a Robocop for football. Yeah, he's 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 like a he's like a cyborg, right? You think when you look at him, he's one of those players who, uh, you know, maybe at first glance doesn't look he doesn't he looks kind of like more of like a a, a lumbering type striker, mm. someone who you wouldn't envision being you know so technically on the ball. But when you look at him, it feels like he has the kind of the size of an Ibrahimovic. He has that ability. He's to, so fast though. It's he's crazy. fast. He has the speed. I think Ibrahimovic probably never really had, or maybe early in his early days, you know, with Inter, Juve, and Ajax. But you know, when you look at a player who can combine you know such blessings of uh, of the size the strength the speed and that finishing touch i mean who's to say he's not going to score you know 15 to 20 goals in the second half of the season for the bundesliga he's got three already i think he's going to get a ton of supply from the wide areas and through the middle 
And you look at the goals that he even scored. I mean, he's running, he's blowing by these central defenders. I think when you look at him in the first glance, you're thinking of a target man, guy who relies mostly on service coming into the box, you know, big physical player. And he has all those elements, but he's not a one trick pony. If you look at his entire profile and we saw him on display in the Champions League for Salzburg. I mean, he's a guy that's, He's got the mentality. I think that's such a very important thing for a player of his age. We see a lot of these players make these moves. They don't have the mental aspect to carry over that. You know, like Renato Sanchez, for instance, right? Off a great Euro, he goes to Bayern Munich. He flops, he struggles. He can't really kind of, you know, replicate that. But when you're seeing a Holland, it's like he has that, that almost like that lion personality that we kind of always attribute to Ibrahimovic, where it's like he's going into, he believes he's going to score. And when he has interviews, when you listen to him, He's got a little bit of a cocky arrogance to him, like a yeah. swagger, if you will, a swagger, if you will, where he feels so confident in himself and his ability to score that you can't help but you know, want to watch him and want to see what his ceiling is. And I- I'm very excited to see what, how he gets on with uh, Borussia Dortmund the rest of the way, but more so once he has a full summer at the club with, under the league with whoever they kind of build around him. I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. I think, you know, at 25 million, 30 million, whatever it was, I mean, minus the commissions to Mr. Raiola, because you all know and, that comes And his play. dad's as well. And his that? dad. I mean, even then, if you throw 25 here, you throw another 10 to Raiola, another 10. I mean, 45 million for a player. It's nothing, man. It's that's so, nothing it's in this nothing. market. It's nothing in this market. Who's scoring the Champions League? He's got I a mean, Champions League experience. You're talking about the, the best young number nine in the world, right? And they're pairing him up with the best young winger in the world in Sanchez. So it's like, yeah, those two, I think they're going to be... Uh... This is also one of those things where you can see it in two years' time where it's a classic Borussia Dortmund move. They bought they bought Usman Dembele for, I think, 15 to 20. A year later, they flipped him for, what, 115, 120 to Barcelona? <laughs> Crazy. I mean, that's something where you see it's just a t- it's, it's just that how they operate, and they do such a great job scouting, but they also do such a great job creating that environment for players like uh, Holland to come in and I think he'll do. I think he'll do 18 months there. I think he'll do... That's fair. Like, and agree to, like, a January move, maybe, and then move in the summer, like, maybe 2021, yeah. something like I, I that. I think summer, summer 2021, I can see him going to the Premier League for, like, a monster fee. A I don't know money. who to... Like, maybe, like, but... a, hey, maybe a city. How much, where, how much does Aguero have in there? <sighs> Probably not, not too much. much. He's not gonna much. Go, he's going to go back to La Liga. Chelsea, maybe? Maybe. But I think Chelsea... Munich. I, th- I think for for Prem- the interesting thing is though that uh, Premier League clubs is I think they're going to go all out for Sancho this summer, so it's kind of like if you're I don't know if you're United or Liverpool, the likelihood of you getting Sancho and then Haaland in consecutive summers is pretty probably quite low, or maybe it's it's higher because you've got a better relationship with the club. But I think Sancho is going to be one this summer. And then next summer, it's, it's all about Haaland. But man, he is, I don't know, it's crazy. He just, like, it, you just... It's a hat sat, trick off the bench. You at, just sensed at it when he came on, man. Honestly, when, when you just saw him run on, it was just the like... The strides, too. The strides. Like, he's got, the, he's got everything. He's got the movement. He's running off the back shoulder. He's one of those players where, he, initially, he doesn't maybe look as, like, a, like a fleeting, a, a, you know, a quick uh, a player who can just outrun player, uh, defenders, but he's got those, those gazelle-like strides where he's just mm. coasting by. Like, even what we see more or less with, like, Mbappe, where it's like his strides are long. He, he's like a sprinter. And he just, glide, he just glides by these players. And it, he has no problems finishing. Like, in goal, like that's, he's, so, he's so clinical for a player so young. And I think, again, a lot of it gets attributed to his mentality, his confidence in himself. And that's something that you can't teach at a young age but you're for a player going into a new club. And I think that's why so many of these teams wanted him badly. Juventus, Manchester United, 
uh, Leipzig wanted him in. Bruce Dortmund won, and they're reaping the benefits early on. Yeah, I think it's also good for the the Bundesliga. Um, it's 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 kind of like you know Sancho. It's like when Neymar went to. I know it's not the same, but when Neymar went to League One, there was a reason to start watching that league, with all due respect to them. And then when Bappe went there, you're like, oh wow, you know that you've got two of the top five players in the world playing in League One, and Sancho and um, Haaland aren't quite that ilk yet but you know over the next 18 months 12 to 18 months I really do think that that is going to have like a marked impact on the league in itself I don't know if you guys agree um I get where you're coming from I just it's it's just like uh, it's so hard to say the Mbappe Neymar thing I get what you're saying though and I and I it's like a a worse not a worse version no I know what you mean it's it's a it's a it's a, like a 2.0 version. It's, it's good, yeah. but it's not as good as the first one. But, I also think it's it's one of those things where it brings some sort of balance to the league. I think if if you're if yeah. you're someone who's maybe someone who's not really um, you know well versed in, in the Bundesliga, you know, and you're like, okay, well, it's dominated by Bayern Munich or it's dominated by you know this club. But if you start looking at it, it's, it, it gives you a reason for saying, well, look, I mean, look what Borussia Dortmund's building here. They got that kind of, you know, that, that young, you know, exciting young group of, of top, top players. And it's one of those things that they're able to keep it intact. Do they got a run in them? And I think it gives a little bit more of a different dynamic. It kind of spreads out the league. And you're not, you're not just going to say, well, let's just watch Bayern. Or, you know, if I'm a team, like, I know, I know you guys, you know, we, we all watch different leagues. But, you know, a lot of times we feel that we all, we're always kind of quick to tune into a Bayern Dortmund or a Bayern Leipzig. Now that you have, you know, Dortmund you know, playing against, it, it'll, again, it'll, it'll incentivize you to at least kind of check out this kid. And I think he has the ability to be one of those individuals, uh, you know, in a short time, like Mbappe maybe, to transcend the game, right? He's got, you know, he, his, he's got the quotes in the media. He's got the profile. He's got the, the youth on the side. He's got the celebration. He's got the Champions League background, which always brings these players to new heights. You start putting everything together. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that this kid in two years is – one of the top five, top six strikers in his position, you know, before he's even kind of scratched the surface of his true potential. And I think that's kind of where, you know, more or less Pet is getting at. And you throw in the fact that Sancho, he's got, he's such a mark, these guys are marketable players too. And they're playing the Bundesliga, but you think with that next step to the Premier League or to wherever they go, that it's only going to take their game to a whole nother level because we saw what happened with Mbappe in the Champions League with Monaco and that a very exciting Monaco side. Once that band dispersed the players, Mbappe's been head and shoulders above all of them, and he's really made a name for himself as like the next guy to win a Ballon d'Or. And some people even say he may even win it one before Neymar. I don't know if when when, when with you know what how uh, Neymar's window is right now, but when when you look at the landscape, it's 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 the game is is more suited to a player making that sort of seismic leap and that sort of jump to the mainstream more quicker because you know six months ago this guy Holland wasn't really kind of in that limelight the way he is now. And he's on the, he's on the fast track to superstar. Oh yeah. Like I, you're talking about four top four or five strikers in the world in like two years. I think he's like top 10, 15 already easily. Like, I don't it, think you could, you could name like 15 better strikers than him in the, in the world, maybe even 10. Like I, I, I genuinely think he's that good. It like, depends really on what you're, it depends on what you're basing on. I mean, there's going to be people that you that value the longevity of a guy like Aguero and, and, and some of these players and rightfully so there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're looking at right now, 
I look at this player and how I rate his ability. Not so much his numbers, because it's unfair for a guy like Holland, who just moved to Borussia Dortmund, to have a half a season there. And you're going to kind of try and stack him up against a guy like Lewandowski. But when you look at him and look at his profile and everything he brings to the table, it's hard to imagine a guy with his profile and the way he's kind of you know, scored goals in bulk this year across all competitions that here, to your point, he's not already in that top 15 conversation just based off form, based off his rise, based off his entire skill set. I just want to say one more thing, sorry, before we move on. He's, you know, you talked about his kind of like intelligence and how the media kind of love him. He also legally changed his name so that there's no uh, Norwegian accent, um, which is super interesting. So it's now Erling H-A-A-L-A-N-D instead of the A with the, with the accent. So he, him and his entourage, whoever he's got is around him, they, they know what they're doing and he's got his head screwed on. So he is kind of like, again, fast-tracked superstardom on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. He's doing all the right things. Wasn't it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to look it up right now, but wasn't his father before, uh, a former professional? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played for Manchester City. Yeah, I mean, well, there you go then. Then he kind of understands the whole landscape of where you would, well, that also probably makes sense why. He probably didn't take him to Man United. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's part of the reason. I think it's also like a Mino Raiola kind of beef going on because of the Pogba situation. Well, I think Mino Raiola just wants as many moves for him as possible, right? Oh, just makes sense. Of course, yes. But um, yeah, I mean, look, a, a hat trick for a debut is one of the most incredible things he possibly could have done. So he keeps raising the standard there another striker who's just absolutely on fire and better than any other striker this season is Chiro Immobile for Lazio bagged another three yesterday penalties or not you still have to finish them I understand where some people come from when it comes to stuff like that but at the end of the day when you're able to finish at a consistent rate like that and you have over 20 goals um, in Serie A uh, at this point in the season it needs to be said he is having one of the best seasons for a striker in Serie A history. So, Matt, I'm just going to toss it to you. I, this guy's just ridiculous. I, I, I will get very, very, very angry if we don't see this version of him come June. Matt, can you just quickly call Martino out about, uh, about Immobile? Because we were talking about him, weren't we? Like a couple months ago, I was like, this guy's really, really good. And Martina wasn't sure if he, he was quite up there. But I think this season, I don't know who's been better. No, no, one, no one's been better than Immobile. <laughs> I, think we, I think when you look at but when you look at everything, right, I think it's, it's one of those things where it's – when you throw in the fact that he's got 23 goals um, and he's – I think he's seven or eight ahead of everyone in the Campo Canieri race, not to mention the fact that he's leading the charge for a team that's surprisingly in the Scudetto race. I mean, you're looking at right now, the path that he's on, one of the best in single season, uh, single season uh, for single seasons, excuse me, for a striker in Italy, hands down. This is just beyond the goals, right? Because we looked at what Gonzalo Iguain, the current uh, single season holder right now, who had 36 back in 2015, 2016, did. They didn't win the title. Now I'm not saying Lazio is going to win the title, but if he, if they're able to somehow finish above a Inter or above a Juve and maybe come up a little bit short. And win a Copa Italia. I mean, you're going to look at, again, Mopoli's, like, I think he's a top three or top four goal, like, all-time goal scorer for Lazio, too. Mm. He's becoming, like, a club legend. And this is a guy that was brought in from, I believe it was Borussia Dortmund. I think he went on loan. Sevilla. 
He, no, no. Well, I think you know, but he was owned by. Bruce yeah, Storm. you're he right. Went on loan to no, 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 no. I have it in front of me. He was. Okay, so, so he was on loan from Dortmund to Sevilla. Sevilla bought him. Then they really? him. Yeah, then they loaned him to Torino. Torino. He had. A, he <laughs> had a so good confusing. half. He had I know, a good yeah. half season. <laughs> he had a good half season. That was. I recall that. It was a good half season as a backup to Belotti. Belotti, I think, had 25, 26 goals that year. That was his mm-hmm. breakout. Then Lazio bought him for, I think, seven and a half, eight million euro. Napoli wanted him. And there was, because I think he's from that area, if I'm correct. Yes. So, yes. You know, so, so they wanted him. And you look at all these factors that come into play. I mean, he's, this guy's head and shoulders above everybody right now in the league. I think, you know, to your point, you can make, yes, he, he's got a lot of penalties and stuff. But you still got to convert them. And I, I hate that argument with a lot of players, right? It's one of those things where you still have to step up to the spot. You still have to convert them. And a lot of the goals that he scored and a lot of the goals that Lazio scored specifically, they have something like 10 or 11 goals scored after the 80th minute. He's scoring late winners for that team. That's also very important when you consider the fact that, you know, you're in, this, you're in your title conversation right now. And look, we, we talked about what his future holds. I know we had that. I think it was just me and you, Pet. Because uh, you said you mm. made mention of it, you know, what, what could he move to another club? I don't think so. If Lazio are able to continuously keep growing and become a team that's legitimately top four contenders every year and build a project, I don't see him leaving. He's becoming a, cl- a club icon right now. He's scoring at will. He's putting up great numbers every year. And in this market, you're not going to find a replacement who's going to be as reliable and as productive. But to Martino's point, it's also going to be very fascinating to see what he does at the Euro because he's definitely going to be the first choice for Roberto Mancini, but he's also coming into this tournament with the reputation as a player who hasn't quite produced the same way for, for international as he has for club throughout these years. So that's all, that would only kind of heighten his stock in the world, right? Because we, we, people use that argument against Lewandowski, right? He hasn't won a knockout game, doesn't, doesn't score the goals in the big knockout games for Bayern. When it comes to the World Cups and the Euros, he doesn't really show up as much as he does in the qualifying rounds for Poland. So that will always be a fascinating thing to kind of monitor the rest of the way. Is that I think he's going to break the, the single-season record, barring a, a, a drastic drop in form or an injury. He's 13 away with, what, 18 games left? I mean, he's definitely 19, on pace yeah. to 19 games left, excuse me, to do that. Not to mention he's got a great supporting cast with Luis Alberto, Milinkovic Savic around him, uh, Joaquin Correa. So when you throw in all the factors, it's no surprising to see him scoring with such volume. No Europa f- League either, too. No Europa League either. So he's having a phenomenal season, and it's going to be very exciting to watch this the rest of the way because uh, you know it's also giving us as you know football fans the the firsthand ex- firsthand experience of a player who at 29, 30, 31 is capable of being the finished striker, all right? We're so accustomed to throwing timelines and, and, and f- timeframes on when a player is, you know, fin- like as a finished product, right? We do it with, we've done it, people have done it with Piontek. Oh, when's he not, he's not scoring goals, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. Guy's 24. But Immobile's best season of his career is coming at 30-31. So everyone kind of travels on these different trajectories in their terms of their career, but it's definitely impressive to see Immobile doing this in the league that I follow consistently and doing it in, with such volume and such consistency. Yeah, I look, I, it's, it's really remarkable to see what happened. And, and also, again, to the point about the transfer, I didn't want to interrupt. 
Claudio Lotito is also like a shrewd kind of owner. So he, if he's going to be asking for money, he's going to ask for over a hundred million. And like flat out, that's what he would do because he doesn't want anyone else, especially in Serie A. I bet in Serie A, he'd probably ask for like almost 130 million. I'm not even kidding you. And, and, and he wouldn't try and back down from it. Either. The only club I could see him going to, I know he, he's, a, I think he's a Juventus product. I don't think he played a much you, for them, but he's a, he's a you Juve. Like three yeah, appearances, yeah. Right. I think he was maybe Sorrento, if I'm correct, or a team like that, a very lower team that he actually started with. But, you know, the only team that I could see him maybe going to would be a team like Napoli. I think he, there's a mm. lot of players who, listen, I think you know, Napoli are maybe in that transition in a couple of years where, Maybe Milik is a player who does earn a big move himself. And maybe they're saying, look, Immobile wants to come here. He grew up here. This is where he wants to play. But I, I just don't see him leaving Italy. And I think it's mm-hmm. one of those things where, you know, Italians specifically and historically, they don't really travel that well in terms of when they make these moves, right? We look at Jorginho recently. We look at some of the players, you know, uh, Emerson, for instance, you know, Verratti, to name a few. But a lot of them historically have struggled abroad. And I think he's a first-hand uh, uh, testimony to a player who has tried it in Borussia Dortmund, has tried it in Spain, but he knows where he belongs. He knows where he kind of makes his money and he, where he could be the best version of himself. And that's in Italy. And I think he's a player who can, I can envision seeing being at Lazio for five, six more years because I think he's a player that is slowly becoming, again, a club, excuse me, club icon, club legend with the fact that he is uh, so high on the scoring charts over – Really, what it feels like four or five seasons. Is he is he the fastest? Connect me, correct me if I'm wrong. Is he the fastest player to get to 100 goals for Napoli? Am I correct in saying that? For Lazio, for I Lazio, so. rather. I it's, it's, so. it, it would be all competitions because in Serie yeah. he has. Uh, yeah, excuse me, he's not quite there yet. I think he's a little bit short. Um, right, he, he so. can't be that far though. No, <laughs> no, he's not. not. He I, th- I believe he has ninety in Serie A for them. Oh bloody hell! That's yeah, hundred. That is actually insane. Ninety and one hundred and twenty-four matches in Serie A, which wow. is just out of this world. And that is insane for a league, with- mind you. For a league mm-hmm. that Ronaldo and Lukaku have had conversations with quotes coming up as being the toughest league to score, and Ibrahimovic has even said it too. Now that's obviously very subjective, but when it, it's worth noting that this guy is doing it in a league that is. You know, historically very difficult to put up big numbers. And we haven't seen a season like this really since Iguain, yes, but since the 90s where you had all the best players coming from abroad to play here and they're putting up such big numbers. You've got the Stuta, for example, uh, Ronaldo, another one as well. So he's on a historic season right now and he's in that position where if they just keep you know, keeping that, that group of players around him, it's going to be tough to keep Milinkovic, Savic, and Alberto, I know. But if they're able to build around him and build that supporting cast, the sky's the limit for him. And I think he's a player who, who can really shatter records at Lazio and be, again, an icon. We, we had a few questions, didn't we, on, the, um, on, the, on Twitter, on our State of Play I podcast. Think they were, I believe there were a couple of Milan questions. They were. So should I read them and, and you guys yeah. can answer? Oh, Let's do it. Uh, we have one from Miguel da Milanista. Does Paqueta fit the new formation? Can he offer more in place of Jack Bonaventura? I'll let you go first, Martino. Okay. Um, look, I well, the new formation, just to get it out there for people who aren't really watching, it's been more of a 4-4-2. But, I, Matt, I think you would agree after today's substitutions, it kind of switched to a 4-3-3 after halftime um, because Jack Bonaventura came off. 
But yeah, look, the four man midfield, he's got a, he would play, my guess would be on the left. Um, that's where we've seen him feature the most. He's, he's more better. In my opinion, I think he's better moving forward closer to goal than he is staying back because his ball retention rate is really poor. I think it's something that he's been struggling with. And it's part of the reason why John Paulo didn't play him that much. Um, and as far as Jack goes, I, I, I also don't think if Bonaventura and Paquette are both not starting, Jack is going to get the nod as the first guy off the bench. So it's kind of difficult to see where Paquette really is going to be moving forward. I, we don't even know if he's going to be on the squad 12 days from now. We, who knows if, if Milan need to make a move, that if they really want to get Dani Olmo, I, it's going to have to be probably Paquette that's going to be on the way out. But I I would like to say that he could fit there with with his with his skill set, but I at this point, if he's not getting starts in Coppa Italia, I I don't know what to say. I believe I believe Paqueta has a high ceiling. I think he has a great career ahead of him, um, and I've always been uh, adamant that the reason why a lot of these players are struggling at Milan is for the simple fact that it's such a there has been in recent years a toxic environment for youth to grow. I can't put it on a 21-year-old guy or 21-year-old kid going from a vastly different league from Brazil to Serie A to thrive when you're going from manager to manager, system to system, and overall style of play to style of play. And not to mention he's getting very you know, sporadic runs in the squad. You're not going to build continuity. A player like that, and that's, they know, and maybe that's why we harped on it with, with Borussia Dortmund, right? Because they create mm-hmm. that sort of environment that allows young players to succeed. And I, I was on the Semper Milan podcast earlier this past week, and we talked about, you know, Paquette's role because a similar question came up. And I was thinking, I was like, wait a second. If you're a team like, you know, you're a, a team like Milan, who you're brought in guys like Gazidis, Boban, and Maldini, and the, the, uh, the philosophy has been and the approach has been on the market for youth players, for a youth revolution, right? You got Leao, Benacer, Teo, all these guys. you got to create an environment for them to grow. Otherwise – they're going to stagnate or they're going to regress so much to the point where they become flops. It's too much pressure to put on a, a, a group of young kids to shoulder the responsibility currently at Milan. That's, that's the truth. And I, 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 I stress, I can't stress that enough. And I think the same thing goes with Paqueta. By no means am I think, am I saying that he shouldn't be criticized for the fact that again, he tries to overcomplicate things to your point. He's very uh, careless. He's unreliable in possession, which we obviously know how important that is for Milan, a team where if they want to play quickly, play move forward, they got to be able to maintain that possession. But I just start to struggle with where his actual role will be within the squad because he came into the season with that excitement of playing in his normal role as a, as a number 10. He had quotes about that in the media saying, you know, with, with Giampaolo in a 4-3-1-2, I could play behind the strikers. That's where I'll, I thrive most, and I think he plays that even for Brazil. But when you keep changing formations in a 4-4-2, it doesn't quite suit him. I brought up, I brought up something on the Semper Milan podcast. Well, what about a, a better, what about a Christmas tree formation? Something similar to what we saw at Ancelotti. And obviously, it's, the times are different. The personnel is different. The coach is different. But if they're playing a four four two now, and even a mid game going from a four two from a four four two to a four two three one, there's got to be some versatility in Paqueta's game where you can play him a little bit further up up towards goal in the, in the final 30, 30 minutes of the game where he can get you know, those, those combination plays with him, uh, with him Leao, and Ibrahimovic. Because Ibrahimovic is not a guy that's going to be trailblazing around the pitch. He's, a, he's more of a creator, more of a, a, a stable 
presence and a guy that you kind of as a use as a focal point. I think Paqueta has a role in the squad if Pioli is going to give him an opportunity. But with a, I don't like him as, as a left winger or left mid. And I wonder if he has the, the ability right now in his current form to replace a guy like Kessier, for instance. Because for all the criticism that Kessier gets, he allows Benacer to be himself. And I think there's got to be a lot of people that criticize this and a lot of people continu- continuously criticize Kessier and a lot of the areas of his game. But if you don't have that physical presence, a player who can be box-to-box, and he's playing the entire game and running back and forth to give you that coverage, you can't expect a guy like Benacer to be able to do that role. He's a smaller player. Yes, he is pretty good in, in terms of disrupting play and winning the ball back. But you have to have a little bit of a different variety in a 4-4-2 midfielder when you are playing with you know, true wingers in those wide areas. So that's where I, I struggle to see Paqueta's role in this squad if it is a 4-4-2. But I would love to see him get opportunities. He's a player I do like, and I feel bad for him because I think he started off really well at Milan when he did arrive in January, much last January, like, much like with Piontek. But both now seem to be out of favor, kind of frozen out of the squad, more or less from a starting role. And I wonder if he's going to be sold for a cut rate price and he's going to go somewhere else and he's going to be one of the guys that got away if he does go into a squad, which is a little more stable. Again, has the veteran presence where they can kind of – he could be just a one of many guys in the squad, not be the sole main attacking outlet. And I think that's what's kind of something that he's struggling with at Milan is that when you have that, that price tag hanging over him, He's coming in and people are saying, well, we spent $35 million on this guy. We're asking him to create things. He's not creating things. He's struggling. And it's a lot to put on a young kid who's still growing. He's not the finished product, which goes back to my previous statement, is that not all players grow at the same pace, right? Sometimes they need a change of scenery, change of environment, change of system to accommodate them and their strengths and weaknesses. So we'll have to see. I think he's definitely expendable. Pioli's shown that he's willing to go other, up to other players like Krunic in the squad, for example. Hakan, is, although he's been out of the squad, has gotten quite a bit of reps under Pioli. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think what also favors into this is the fact that we don't quite know what the situation is moving forward for the manager for Milan. And I think if you're looking at this and saying, well, Pioli's not going to be the guy beyond this half season, then you're going to say, well, look, if our manager is a guy like Allegri, for instance, because that's also come up. And I know, uh, uh, Martino, I mean, you've talked about that too, uh, all, you know, in a separate chat. That's also something you have to consider. You don't want to give up on a player who may be a good fit for a manager, you know, moving forward. Conversely, you may not want to buy a lot of players to accommodate a Pioli who you may not envision being here long term. Awesome. Well, uh, I think it might be time for our pro- player profile, isn't it, Martino? Yes, it is. Here's some Joaquin music. All right, now it's time for our player profile. Pet, take it away. So we're going to talk about uh, a guy called Ryan Cherky, who uh, who plays for Leon. He is the latest guy to come out of this. What do we even call it now? Like a a factory of of just young superstars that seem to come out of Ligue 1, but um, Leon specifically. He's only 16. And he's not 17 until August, which is crazy to think about. Um, And the reason why we're profiling him today is, well, not only is he kind of seen as probably France's hottest talent since Mbappe, so that is a big deal. Uh, Last night, he got two goals and two assists uh, away at Nantes, the uh, team who are currently fourth in Liga uh, in the French Cup. And just everyone went completely crazy. You know, the, the get French football accounts, the like every journalist who's who's 
based in France or talks about French football. They just went completely nuts. He scored both goals with his left foot and assisted both goals with his right foot. I kind of liken him to a Nabil Fakir, but with a, a really good right foot and maybe even like more composed and, and probably may score more goals. He, he's definitely got that kind of arrogance about him that he, he, he knows he's kind of like... He's, you can tell he's been the best player on the pitch in every game that he's played, in every youth game, up until he's, he's kind of played in the pros. And I think a lot of uh, Leon uh, fans are thinking that even if Memphis Depay goes in the summer or next January or Dembele goes, that, you know, quietly they'll be thinking that they've got a real star on their hands. Similarly to when uh, Lacazette left and they knew that Nabil Fakir was in the ranks and by all means this guy is not the finished product but he is a ridiculous talent I mean the only thing that I'd worry about is perhaps his athleticism might let him down but he's just so composed like his first touch is ridiculous if you watch his first goal that he scored in this cup last night he uh the the ball comes to him pretty quickly uh in the box right foot touch round the keeper another touch to set himself and then the left foot finish but yeah he's got probably like I don't know, like 15 inches or so to aim at the goal because there's a defender on the line. If you just watch it, it's just the composure is mad. And um, the two the two uh, through balls that he played for the assist that he made, the way to pass is just perfect. Like some of these things you just can't teach or if you can teach, they take like 10 years and this guy's got it already. So uh, Ryan Shirky, a guy to keep your eyes on. I mean, if you're like a big... Uh, you know, fan of football manager or whatever, you would have heard this guy being talked about already. Um, but yeah, he's not 17 until August. And I'm I'm thinking that considering he's played all his youth football in France, I don't think Algeria have got a chance to, to snap him up for their senior team. But I mean, this guy is just so ahead of everyone his age. It's, it's crazy to think about. So uh, yeah, definitely keep an eye on him. Uh, wonderful player and uh, the next in a, in a long line of youth talents at Lyon. Let me ask you, Pets. You know, it, I mean, everyone's so quick to, with these performances from these very young players, they're so quick to say, well, when, when do you, is he going to make a move? When, what do you, if you had to place a timeline realistically about when you feel that he can make like that big move, not, not, not necessarily his final move to a big, big club, but obviously if you're saying, look, he's going to make that Holland type move like we saw mm. recently where he goes from Salzburg to a team like Borussia Dortmund as a big, big German club. Do you see him being maybe two more years um, at Lyon? Do you see him uh, three more years? Do you see him being a little bit more of a guy who stays long-term? Or do you feel he's going to be the player who's going to be quick to jump um, at that big opportunity once it calls? So interestingly, before he signed his professional contract, before he turned 16, uh, Man United were really strongly rumoured with him to to kind of snap him up on a free or, or pay that kind of compensation. I just feel that, Leon is definitely the perfect club for him. And if you think about this coming summer, you're, you're thinking about Moussa Dembele, you're thinking about Hussein Mawar, you're thinking about uh, maybe Denayer and, and uh, Anthony Lopez, the keeper. There's a few guys that are kind of just in front of him. And I think he kind of knows that uh, in terms of, not in front of him in terms of ability, but in terms of like that transfer move. And I think that he knows that if the likes of Awar or Depay or... Um, Dembele go in the summer that he is going to be guaranteed 35 40 appearances next season and how many how many 17 year olds can say that like not that many and I just think that for him the next move is that kind of like he goes from a Leon to a one of the big 
kind of five to ten clubs in in the world. I don't think he's going to be making a move to to a Dortmund or a, I don't know a, a Mauricio a, like a Borussia Mönchengladbach or a, like a, even a, a Tottenham or you know that kind of like just before the elite clubs. I just I think he's too good. I mean the thing to think about it as well is football. It's about opinions, right? And if you ask anyone who the best player on the world is, they're going to say either Messi or Ronaldo. That means those yes, two. Messi. Yeah, yeah, sure, okay. But you know what I mean. Like there is only I know I'm being an ass. There's, there's only there's only two answers, and that kind of means that those two are the guys, right? If you ask everyone in France who the next big thing is, this is who they'll say. Every Lyon-based reporter was going completely nuts about him last night. Every France-based reporter was going completely nuts about him last night. Every one of those um, kind of football scout Twitter accounts, guess what they were talking about last night? Ryan Shirky. Like, there's just too many people that think he's that good. There's no one I've seen that said, I, d- I don't think he's that good. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's just, it just feels like he's the real deal. It's, it's also, it's also fine. I also find it kind of strange and I find it classic, you know, new age uh, football, modern football, is that a guy like Yo Shirky comes in and he's like, with the, the headlines, the next Mbappe. It's like before even Mbappe is like hit even anything close to his ceiling. And he's so young. I think he's 20 years old, 21 years old now, Mbappe. The fact that it's like we're already looking for the next Mbappe before Mbappe is actually kind of fulfilled what he's supposed yeah. to, to fulfill, you know? So I think it's one of, those, one of those things where I kind of sometimes tend to get ahead of myself. And I think many others where they look at a player like this and saying, oh, he's going to move or he's going to do this or he's going to do that. But sometimes the best moves are the ones you don't make. And to your point, Mm. if there's going to be somewhat of an exodus from key players, he'll be able to walk in and get that full season underneath them. Even if it's not multiple seasons, that's that's so important for a guy. We even saw with a guy like Nicolas Pepe, who just, he had that full season at Lille where he was able to kind of just essentially establish himself, not have to look over his shoulders, not have to, kind of battle you know a more senior players in the squad for minutes and he could just be himself and without the without the pressures of being at a big big club with big wages and a big fee behind them so I think that's also very important where I would like to see a player like him stay for a couple seasons establish himself at Lyon a league um, like in Liga Own, which is very friendly for a lot of youth players and players to eventually make the Premier League trek and eventually that will always be open if he stays humble he kind of stays grounded and he works his tail off but He's got the ability. He's got the potential. He's got everything in him to be uh, a superstar player. So it's one of those things where people have to, again, I reiterate this, temper their expectations because everyone wants to claim this guy is the next big, big superstar. But you have to put, put, your, put the expectations on him where it's healthy and he's able to grow at his own pace and his own leisure and not be forced into uh, an uncomfortable position where he has to be such a superstar so early. I mean, a lot of people questioned Bappe's move to, to PSG. I mean, I certainly did at the time. I was like, really? Like, is that the move? You know, I, I just felt that he would do that kind I think of... It was like... the only, I think it was the only league, in my opinion. The fact that he stayed in the league, I think, was very key. Again, not to mention, he's going with a team that had a lot of senior players with experience. If you, if you throw a player like that into certain, a different league, a different environment, people said the same thing about Donnarumma, where... You know, when he was before he signed that contract extension, you got to look at all the factors, right? Everyone wants to go after this big contract, this big money move, and play for their big dream club so early because you never know when it's going to come, right? Rightfully so, with injuries and all the factors that come into play. I understand that. But if you're going to have a youth player, you know, you got to make sure that you're creating that environment. And I think that's what just goes to show you. 
that there's so many more factors to it beyond, you know, the coach, beyond the formation, beyond all these, you know, uh, analytics. It's looking at it and saying, this is where this kid grew up. He's 16. I mean, he wouldn't even be able to get a, a driver's license in, this, in the U.S., right? So you kind of put into perspective like that where this is all the kid's known. You can't, you can't kind of try and force him and fast track him to these big clubs, no matter how competitive it is, right? Because we see it, you know, every summer, guys, you know, that they, the, you don't want to be the team that misses out on a top player. You don't want to be the team that misses out on an individual where you kind of get shorthanded or shortchanged and you're saying, oh, well, we don't want to spend 35 million on a kid who hasn't even had a full season in this league, right? But you look at what would happen with Mbappe, right? If you do your good enough job scouting, and the talent, the people who you view the talents on a regular basis, you can stand, you can kind of establish who is the it kid and who isn't. And when you talk about you know this individual here who's still very young, there's something about him when you watch him. You're like, this kid's got the it factor. If he just stays the course and keeps going, he's going to be a superstar. So he'll get his move. I just don't like to see a lot of these players trying to get ahead of themselves and their their ego and the people around them kind of and and the media around them. They try to force them into a position where they're, they're, it's going to stunt their growth and it's going to set them back. The move will be there. If everyone's raving about him the way they are, the move will be there. I, but, think, he'll again, do, I think he'll do about two seasons. Right. Two and there's, seasons and there's, and there's, and after there's, this and one. Nothing, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, I think that's more than realistic, right? You see it even with Sancho. Most people expect Sancho to leave in the summer. What is this? Mm. Is the second season of Borussia Dortmund? Yeah. He's yeah. still a teenager. So that, but you're seeing, right? The second season players start to get figured out a little bit. He's having a very good season, don't get me wrong, but he's not putting up the same numbers as he did in year one. So those trials and tribulations think, of a I long think season. I he is, though. I think he is, Jaden Sancho. I think he... He's, well, he, I know he had some struggles going early on in the season. He wasn't, in other words, he wasn't as, I guess, like he, he wasn't putting up the numbers that, I, I, that many people saw last year, at least to, to what I saw. Again, if I'm wrong, please feel free to call me out, who's ever listening. But <laughs> I think it's, it's one of those things where we see time and time again where the youth player wants to make that move so quick, the agent wants to make that move so quick, the team wants him, everyone's on board with it, and then he gets there, and he's saying, well, maybe I should have stayed another year, right? So that's all I'm saying, but it's very exciting, but a very exciting player to watch, and I know our scouted football buddies have been following, uh, I think, a couple other players at Lyon um, that we haven't mentioned. I'm sure we'll, we'll cover a couple of them in, in, in future episodes, but yeah, they're building something very special at Lyon, and I think they've got uh, the right model for youth and how they're being integrated into the first team. Yeah, I think uh, Shirky is definitely a guy that um, we, we should all keep an eye on if you, if you love football. He's uh, he's just so good to watch. So next time Leon are on TV or they're playing in a big game, uh, check him out. All right. Thanks, Pet, for that, Matt. Great conversation between the two of you. Definitely exciting when a young talent like that at that age comes up. But that'll do he, it. He, for th- he might get some minutes against Juve. You never know. Depending on their injuries, like that'd be crazy. A sixteen-year-old playing against Juventus, like come on. I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's out, that's out of this world. Probably the last one since Donnarumma, then probably. Mm, then. Mm. <laughs> Just had to throw it out there. <laughs> but that'll wrap up this episode. We're so glad to be back for this season, um, this new year. We're going to be bringing you a lot more podcast here on the Big Heads Media Network that give us the opportunity to. Um, share this podcast with all of you just want to get our social media out there for everyone. You can follow us at state of play podcast on Twitter, Pat, where can everyone find you? P E T B E R I S H A on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. Plenty of stuff there with the football index guy that you could check out as well. If you're interested in that 
Pet will have everything for you there. Matt, where can everybody check you out? You guys can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Thank you guys for the support. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to 2020, what the year has in store for the State of Play pod, guys. Going to be a great year. Yep. Now listen to some more keen music. Ha, ha, ha.